Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of And Why. Today's episode is going to be with Karan Hawkins, who is the founder of Chronic Fit, which is an online coaching platform, a fitness platform that he has created before COVID and has sustained throughout. So in this episode, we're going to talk about why he decided to leave his corporate job and to get into fitness and being in that fitness world and how he was able to sustain being his own boss. Um, And we're also going to talk a little bit about the Black Lives Matter movement. And we're also going to talk about um, his experience um, struggling and how that has shaped him to become who he is today. So if you guys are interested in hearing, just keep on listening. Hey, Karon, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Annie. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Of course, of course. Um, real quick, not your fault. Everybody does it. It's all good. It's pronounced Quran. Um, Quran. Like okay, wait. Let me just record, re-record. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. You can, let's leave it. Just leave it. It's all good. It's all good. Okay, okay. Um, Quran. Yeah, like the book. Like the book. <laughs> <laughs> what book? The Quran. Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. The religious book. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. That's technically what my name was based off of when I was born. Um, my dad named me after the Quran because he was Islam at the time. Or mm-hmm. Muslim, excuse me. He was Muslim at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just kind of stayed. Um, my mom changed the spelling a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, wow. what that's what it comes what, from. What is he now? Um, he's Christian now. Um, oh, yeah, me too. Oh, cool. 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 <laughs> uh, so... I'm going to introduce you separately, but, uh, you know, what would, how would you introduce yourself to a stranger if, you know, you were to meet them today? Okay. Um, I guess I would say my name. My name is Karan Hawkins. I'm an mm-hmm. online coach uh, who specializes in spine health and posture. I love helping people. I love to dance. I play video games. Um, and I'm really passionate about just being the best version of myself possible, learning. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a knowledge seeker, you know. Um, yeah. I, I do whatever I can to find the best way to do things and um, just create value for the world and, and for those around me. Amazing. Wow. So I did a little research, and uh, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Karan was a corporate analyst before he was a fitness uh, instructor. He worked at Time Warner. And I have a question, and why did you decide to change your career path? Yeah, so um, Time Warner was a great opportunity. Um, I know I kind of, I bash corporate uh, corporate <laughs> America a lot, just because it's my honest opinion. But um, Time Warner was an amazing opportunity. I had an amazing boss. Um, she treated me like her own, you know, and mm-hmm. that's that's very rare from what I've heard in the corporate environment, it tends to be very red tapey and sort of like very professional and sort of a Mm -hmm. different environment, but she literally treated me like her son. So that was something that was incredible to experience for my first boss ever. Um, So the reason I left was because my heart simply wasn't in it. Um, To give you a little bit of background on my story, I was not always into fitness, nor was I a dancer, nor was I in shape. Um, in fact, growing up, I was actually very overweight. So when I got into high school, I was five feet tall 
and about 165, 170 pounds. So roughly the same weight I am now, but about nine inches taller. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So um, very, very different world back then. Um, I'm still into, into a lot of the same stuff. You know, I did musical theater. I played video games. I hung out with my friends. I ate a lot of food. I still love food a lot. Um, but I didn't have the proper nutritional habits, I'll say, not diet. I, hate, I don't like the word diet, but I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I didn't have the proper nutritional habits to sustain, um, you know, a lifestyle that was healthy, you know, at, at a healthy weight, healthy build and all that good stuff. So um, dance was like the first thing that I found that allowed me to communicate via a language unspoken, the language of movement, which I mm -hmm. feel is it is its own form of language and, you know, speech, if you will, just nonverbal. Body language is a big part of uh, human communication that we don't even express verbally. Um, and dance is sort of an active form of body language because a lot of the body language that you experience in a conversation um, is nonverbal and, you know, kind of subconscious. But um, anyway, so fast, fast forward a bunch. I did Insanity. I was lifting weights and blah, 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 blah throughout that whole process. And when I got to Time Warner, I realized that, you know, I... I really want to do that stuff for the rest of my life. I want to be a trainer who helps people for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I don't know where that's going to take me, but um, it, it was inspired by Sean T who created the insanity program. If you've heard of him. Um, no, Sean I, don't, T, I haven't. Okay. Sean T was a big motivator for me because he essentially created a new program for at home fitness and it like mm -hmm. changed a lot of things. Um, wasn't the healthiest program to do for your joints and your body, but at the time it was something that I really honestly just worshiped. Um, and I said, I want to do that. I want to be that person. So I found a way. Originally I, I applied to the sports medicine program at the university of Pittsburgh. Cause I went to Carnegie Mellon university for info systems and business, kind of like mm -hmm. a computer science and business hybrid. And, um, I decided just to go back to a place I knew. And the Pitts, Pitts program is, is pretty great. So I was like, hey, let's just go there. I applied and, you know, every day I was checking my phone, like trying to see, okay, did I, did I, did I get in? Did I get an acceptance? Did I get an update? You know, checking every day like it was going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> just so excited. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, a week later, I got an email that said, hey, Karan, check your, uh, you know, application status on, you know, the web portal at Pitt. It's been updated. They don't tell you right in the email, of course. So I went to the portal, opened the email, and it said, Hi, Karan, thank you for your interest in applying to the sports medicine program at the University of Pittsburgh, unfortunately. And that's when I was like, ah, oh, man, it's over. It's over. It, it, it said, <laughs> unfortunately. And that was it. I just, I just knew. I, I mean, I read the rest of the letter, but I kind of just put the paper down and my heart sunk because uh, I, mm -hmm. I, I knew exactly what the rest of it was going to say. And... I was actually on the train on the way to work, go figure. And um, as soon as I got topside from the uh, the subway, one second. As soon as I got topside from the subway, I um, I called the director of admissions there or like the dean of admissions or whatever, whatever, whatever that pitch mm -hmm. was called. And I said, hey, like, what do I have to do? You know, what do I have to do to get into this program? What class do I have to take? And she was like, man, like, there's nothing you can really do. You know, you'd need like two years of classes. You don't have any prerequisites. I needed so many, like the list was super wow. long. And she said, but hey, there's this other program you can apply to. It's called the um, Health and Physical Activity Master's Degree. It's an accelerated program. 
and you you'll learn a lot of the um, basic aspects of um, basic and advanced aspects of um, sports nutrition and exercise physiology. I was like, yo, I'm game. That sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I applied and I wrote a, I guess I wrote a heck of an essay because, again, I had no prereqs. And by some luck of whatever, I got in. You know, the rest is history. Wow. Mm -hmm. And and then you decided to switch your career from there, right? Mm hmm. Amazing. So, you know, you founded Chronic Fit, and I want to touch upon why you decided to call it Chronic Fit with a K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, my my coach name, uh, Coach Chronic, comes, I mean, I, I don't smoke weed. That, that comes up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I, don't, I don't smoke pot. Nothing against it. I, I, it's just not for me. Um, so in 1993, the Chronic album by Dr. Dre came out, and I was born the same year. So my, my uncle, Tony, just started calling me Chronic. He was like, yeah, yeah, I like that name. You're Chronic now. Um, so <laughs> it, it just kind of stuck, you know? And and when I put Coach in front of it, Coach Chronic, it sounds, I mean, I'm not toot my own horn, but when I when I put it together, I was like, yo, that sounds dope. Like, I want that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I just ran with it. <laughs> and then Chronic Fit just kind of made sense because I was trying to keep the branding the same, you know? Um, yeah. I started releasing eBooks, like, you know, Chronic Fitness, Chronic Nutrition, Chronic Mindset, blah, 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 blah. So it was all kind of the same chronic brand with different branches. I was I was thinking of like CK, like Calvin Klein, like how they have, you know, mm -hmm. different collections of clothings for different seasons or different styles or whatever, but it's still Calvin Klein. I was like, oh, okay, you know, I can be chronic fit, but this coach chronic, there's chronic mindset, there's chronic nutrition, there's chronic this and that. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I saw. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of where that comes from. That's really, really cute and really cool story. Because uh, I didn't even think of it was like part of your name. Because again, I thought it was pronounced differently. Uh, but now I hear it. Now I see it. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, so, you know, everyone starting a business is, you know, not an easy thing. So how did you sure. transition from, you know, a corporate job to starting your own business, uh, a fitness one at that? Was it difficult? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think one of the best things that happened to me is I got dead broke because I was terrible at managing my my money and my finances. Mm -hmm. um, I would still argue I am terrible. I'm just a bit better, <laughs> but um, it's a skill you don't really learn in in school. You know, I went to school to learn how to create video games and advanced information systems, but I didn't know how to freaking manage my money. It's like, mm -hmm. come on, like, <laughs> can y'all teach you some life skills, please? <laughs> but, <laughs> But you know, you know how that goes. But um, so, you know, I think for me, when I ran out of my student loans, that's when things changed. Because it wasn't like I was like, you know, um, buying like designer clothes and, you know, uh, crazy new things. I was just going out a lot, partying like I was still in college, you know, mm -hmm. ordering lots of Ubers and stuff like that. So that's what sort of dwindled my money down. Um, and after a certain point, when I ran out, I was like, oh, shoot, I can't pay my rent. Oh, shoot. I can't. I don't know if I can get groceries this week. And oh my gosh. I could have easily called my mom and be like, you know, kind of like I was saying before, relying on my mom. I said I could have been like, Ma, you know, I, I ran out of student loan money. She would have been like, what? She would have probably got really upset with me and then sent me some money. <laughs> but uh, for me, like my whole life, I felt like I'd been relying on my mom because, you know, Growing up, she was she's a single parent. I'm the only child. So, you know, we just kind of rely on each other. Mm -hmm. And because we're all we got, you know, 
So she said, whenever something happens, you call me, like you tell me, like you can always, you can always rely on me. And I said, and she told me that for so many years of my life. And um, it was amazing. You know, if I ever was in a bad spot or, you know, I needed money in high school because I, I went to boarding school out in um, Deerfield Academy in, in Mass. So um, if I didn't have money, I, it wasn't like I could go home and get it. I was, you know, four hours away. So she would have to, <laughs> it's kind of funny. She would, <laughs> we'd have to do Western Union. Um Way back oh. in the day, before before Venmo was a thing, I feel old saying that. <laughs> you uh, look young, though. You look young. Thank you, thank you. How old do you think I am? Twenty-seven. Uh, Holy crap! That was incredibly accurate. That's right on the dot. I'm Wait, really? Wow. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever guessed it perfectly. Um, but anyway, I I, I digress. So. Um, I got super broken, you know, I, I couldn't pay for basic necessities and it taught me a lot. It taught, it, it humbled me because I was still mm -hmm. used to, to balling like I, when I was making my corporate check every, every two weeks and I was reliant on that, that lifestyle, you know, kind of doing what I wanted, where I wanted. It wasn't like I was like going to rooftop bars and getting bottle service every weekend, but <laughs> you know, I, I was living comfortably and that comfort kind of got to my head too much and I, my head got really big, um, mm. and, but being broke popped my ego. And it allowed me to refocus on things that matter, food, clothing, you know, uh, my rent. And after a while, um, I said to myself, I'm not going to rely on my mom. I'm not going to call her. I'm not going to tell her what's going down. I, and I put myself in a mental box of, bro, you're alone. You got nobody. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? How are you going to figure this out? So I got resourceful. You know, I learned about how coffee satiates hunger and I would um, space my meals out with coffee um, not healthy, oh, obviously, wow. but um, I would drink a lot of coffee, a lot of water because those were free at the gym that I worked at. I worked at the front desk. I never did personal training at a gym, but I worked at the front desk. Um, our manager always brought in these coffee cups, the cake, the cake cups for the Keurig. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I eventually, you know, she just kind of kept bringing them. So I was, and there was like stacks of them, like, you know, four or 500 <laughs> packs. And I was like, all right, well, I mean, I could drink one, one of a shift or whatever. Um, so I would drink one or two of those a shift. They would my hunger would be satiated for like maybe four hours, and my shifts would be like eight. So I would, you know, basically eat um, at home. And what I was eating basically for three months or so was protein pancakes and rice. I, I found mm -hmm. a good deal. So this is the resource one that's coming in handy. I found a really good deal on this online site where I bought like you know five six pounds of protein powder for like thirty forty bucks. And then I got like five pounds of pancake batter for like, you know, four, four like five, six bucks or something like that. I don't know what it was. It was wow. ridiculous. What? Yeah, <laughs> it, it was, it, it was insane. But, um, you know, I would just make protein pancakes every single day, every day. Um, and that kept me over for a while. Um, so I would have that in the morning, coffee, 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 coffee for eight, nine hours. When I got home around 1130, I would have more protein pancakes. And that's kind of how I, I kept myself going. Um, but before I, you know, found that system out, I was like not eating for like, for like stretches of like a week or two, you know what I mean? Where I, I would, what? Not, I would not eat. I would only have coffee or like a protein bar here or there. Like I wasn't literally not eating. I'm saying I wasn't eating like a normal, you know, meal, mm -hmm. meal, meal. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't want to get hyperbolic here, but, um, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it, it was tough, but it taught me a lot. You know, it, it humbled me a lot and it, it, it taught me the value of a dollar, which I forgot who told me that. I think my, my, my uncle Tony said, what's the value of a dollar? When I was like seven, I was like, uh, one dollar. <laughs> and, and he was like, no, 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 no. 
that's not what I mean. You'll, you, you'll, you'll know what I mean, you know, when you experience it. And, um, that was it. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, starting a business is hard because it, it, it requires more than just, uh, the, the typical nine to five, you got to really put time in and work in, um, and find that balance between the amount of time you're willing to give and, um, you know, how much it really means to you because, I think social media made starting businesses cool. It made entrepreneurship mm -hmm. really, really cool and, yeah. and romanticized it when, you know, you rarely see the late nights, you rarely see like, you know, from my example, the nights that you're not eating, you know, you, you haven't sleep for dinner, like that, that stuff is real, but um, that's not really talked about that much. So, yeah, I, I believe it. So, you know, it's a, it's an amazing story. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, can agree uh, to some degree and you know when did you start seeing growth in your business and how did that change your life yeah so um I think I was doing in person for free a lot because when I first got back to Pittsburgh um I've been posting about my own fitness journey showing off you know my body which was pretty much the only result I have I didn't really have much knowledge at the time you know I, mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't go to school yet. Like I went to school to, to do like computer software stuff. I didn't learn about anatomy and physiology and, you know, the nervous system like I know now. Um, I just knew, hey, you know, you work hard and you lift some heavy stuff and, you you know, <laughs> you, you exercise, you're going to look good. You you know, you, you have the supplement, you you don't eat like, like crazy, you, you get some abs. Like that was pretty much all I knew. Mm -hmm. But I was posting a lot, like really consistently and a lot of my friends were commenting and watching my story and messaging me. And, you know, I'll never forget the first time I walked into uh, it's a, bar, a bar called uh, Will Penn uh, out in Pittsburgh. Shout out Will Penn. I walked in and a bunch of my, my, my friends came up like, yo, bro, welcome back. You got to train me, bro. You got to train me. You got to train me. You know, we're, 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 we're all drunk, having a good time. Like, you got to train me. You got to train me. And I was like, bro, I, 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 don't have any, I don't have a degree. I don't have a cert. I don't have insurance. Like, I'm not training you. <laughs> But, yeah. but, you know, um, they were pretty persistent. So after a while, I was like, all right, sure, I'll, I'll do it for free. Let's let, let's do it for free and see what happens. They started getting results. They started feeling good. They're like, bro, I got to pay you. That's when I first learned about um, how value is truly received. When you give value, people will give you money. Like, they'll just give it to you because they, 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 mm -hmm. they feel the value of your service. Um, and, you know, comparing what I do now to what I did back then um, is, is very different. But um, I was I was giving them something that they, they were missing, you know what I mean? Something they wanted. So yeah. the currency was just an afterthought. It's like, yeah, take it, take it. And I was like, all right, fine, fine, fine. I'll charge you <laughs> uh, $15 for the hour. So I would I would travel to people's houses, spending money on Ubers and bus rides and all that $15 an hour. Um, meanwhile, I'm, you know, I'm training them for an hour. So I, I would get $15. Um, to go to someone's house, come back to my house and all that. So my time, I was not respecting it. You know, um, I was yeah. probably making like a dollar or something like that in relation to time, maybe even less, but it's all good because it helped me gain experience with um, people, human interaction, um, understanding how to terribly run a business. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, eventually, I started raising my prices a little bit, got, got a larger clientele base, had people come to me. They came to um, my house that I live in now with my boy. Um, and 
I eventually went into the online space. I was um, I was following this online coach. His name is Cody Boom Boom, and he runs uh, the Taylor Coaching Method now TCM. And I I emailed him and I said, Hey man, like I, I love what you're doing. Um, I re- I'm really thinking about getting into online coaching. I'd love to have a conversation with you. You know, 10, 15 minutes, uh, if if you if you can spare the time. Blah 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 blah. He emailed me back and said, Hey man, I, I'm I'm so busy. I got clients. I can't just jump on the phone with you. And yeah. then I, I messaged him back and I said, how much? I said, how much would, would 15 <laughs> yeah. minutes of your time be? And he said, all right. He said, all right, cool. Let, let, let's get on the phone. He never like confirmed or, you know, got the money from me. He just said, sure, l- l- let's chat. So we ended up talking for wow. about 40, 45 minutes. And he basically gave me the blueprint to online coaching, like from a fitness perspective and didn't charge me a dime. Wow. Yeah. So that you guys blueprint- still in touch? Yeah, yeah. I just talked to him last week. He, he's a man. He's a man. Damn. Um, yeah, yeah. We've been working together. Well, technically, we were working together professionally for like a year and a half or so. Um, and I finally felt comfortable being on my own. So we parted ways, you know, respectfully. And um, we just been in contact just talking because I mean, we're friends, you know, like I've, I've, I've been to Seattle multiple times, hung out with them, went to, you know, mentorship things with them. And he brought me to something. So uh, he's a good dude. He's a really good dude. He's helped me so much. So um, that blueprint he gave me for free that, you know, most people would pay a lot of money for. He gave it to me for free. Um, it allowed me to land my first online client and we crushed it. You know, he he shaved like a minute and a half off his mile time. He lost like seven, eight percent body fat, uh, you know, more flexibility in his body, more active. He was doing like mountain biking and everything. He, he was he was really enjoying the results. And that sort of just led into more people coming through and, you know, training more people online and um, raise those prices as well. And eventually I hired Cody as a coach. He taught me more about the infrastructure of an online business. And, you know, the, the income just slowly grew over time. Wow. Um, and um, pre-COVID, I was doing really well. I was doing really well. Obviously, COVID is a, a big wrench in everyone's Yeah, that was my work. next question. Like, how did yeah. that affect you? Like, did you do more online coaching? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, COVID was, was, was awful um, at first because I lost I – was, I was running a gym downtown in Pittsburgh. Um, oh, your own I, gym. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't like own it technically, the real estate I didn't own, but I treated it like it was my own because I managed it. You know, I managed the classes, mm-hmm. the pricing, the, the training there and everything. So I treated it like it was my own so that I would like really take it seriously. Um, I was there all the time. You know, I, I knew most people's names. I can't say everybody because some people came there more than others. But, you know, I was I tried to be as attentive as I could, cleaning up weights and all that, like it was my own space. But um, I had a big clientele there. Um, and I was making a good amount of money there and that was gone instantly because most of the clientele that I had, they were older and, you know, um, the older population is a bit more susceptible to, um, you know, pretty dramatic responses to COVID-19. So it wasn't even a question. I, I canceled everything. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because a week after I said, hey, everyone, um, personal training is canceled until, you know, we know what's going on. So technically indefinitely, because I am I still haven't gone yeah. back there. Um, a week later, they padlocked the, the gym and they closed it. So, um, oh my gosh! Yeah. So, I, right off of that, and then a bunch of people losing their jobs, which is the t- most terrible thing ever from mm-hmm. something like this. A bunch of people got laid off. I lost about sixty-five percent of my income basically overnight. Oh my um, gosh! Wow. Yeah, yeah, but it was scary. It was scary for sure. 
Um, but you know, I, again, I learned how to be broke. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it, you know, I, I was okay. I was okay. And, um, that's when I kind of made the pivot in terms of my training methodology to flowability, which is what I do now. And it's a, it's, it's an insane system, but the, the best part about it was that it required only your body and basically a chair or a bench. So, you know, mm -hmm. everyone was at home, you couldn't go to the gym, there wasn't no heavy lifting. So it was the perfect thing to, uh, to switch to the timing was insane. You know, I, I'd, I'd heard about flowability, but I, and I got Jordan on my podcast, um, uh, like around the summer before I joined and, um, the timing was insane. Cause right. Cause like right around that time we were all in lockdown and, you know, I, I, I chatted with him and it, it went, it went great. And eventually I hired him and, you know, fast forward through, uh, through everything. And it's, it's insane. What's, what's, uh, what's happening. Um, but actually I, I need to correct myself. My timing was a little bit off. Um, I I did the podcast with him before, um, 2020. That's, mm. that's my bad. It, I did the podcast with him like mid 2019. So right before, okay. um, the end of the summer and all that. And then eventually COVID happened is that gave me, that gave me a lot of time to acclimate myself to the system. And then I just started doing it, um, all the time. And, um, he said, yo, let's work. And I became a flow coach and, you know, the rest is history. Nice. So that's what you do most, mostly now. Yeah, pretty much all. I don't do nutrition anymore. I don't do fat loss. I just do spine health and posture. That's all I do. Wow. And has, has that sustained you well, like financially? Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, wow. I'm getting close to what I was at pre COVID, which is a pretty cool thing to say. That's, that's amazing. Good for you. Thank you so much. Um, so, you know, you mentioned your, your mother and you being a single child, like how does, how did that shape, you know, who you are as a person just to get a little personal here? Woo. Now we're getting into <laughs> the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. The good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This is the good stuff. So, um, you know, it was hard. It was hard. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't mind talking about this. So um, my dad was in, in prison basically since I was like one. Um, mm. So I didn't have him in my life um, basically at all for the mo most of my life. He, he He's a free man now, which is, is really, really great to say. And we're slowly kind of building a relationship. It's just tough because, you know, I'm, I'm 27, you know, I'm, yeah. 20, I'm 27 years old. I'm, oh, this is recent. Yeah, yeah. Like October of 2019. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So um, it, it's it's. It, get, it gets me really emotional thinking about it because, you know, you um, and I'm going to tell a quick story with this of a Netflix show that I'm watching that may, really made me think about this. So, you know, you get used to something that's not there being not there. And when it gets there, you're like, ah, it's, is this like, you know, it, it, it's a yeah. weird feeling like my whole life. I, you know, I, I, I want a dad. I want a dad. I want a dad. Um, and then he's mm -hmm. there and it's like I'm scared, like I'm afraid, like there's a lot of fear going on in my head. And it reminded me. Um, when I, I was watching this show called uh, 3% on Netflix, um, really, really great show. And basically the premise is that uh, I think like every some odd years, you know, thousands of people go through this test and called the process. And only 3% of those people make it to what's called the offshore, which is like this like promised utopia land. And the test oh. is rigorous. It's like physical, mental, emotional, psychological, like it's everything. They're like, they, they, to give you some perspective, they put 
gas that makes them hallucinate their worst fears in a room. And they all have to like put their hand on this thing to get out of the room. And if they don't, they're all eliminated. It's insane. Like it's, it's insane. Wow. So, I think I watched this. Yeah. Is it in a different language? Portuguese. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause I think I watched it a, a little bit and I thought it was really, really weird. <laughs> okay. Scary. So uh, Fernando, you remember that character? Probably not, because I watched like the first couple episodes. Maybe, okay. I, maybe, 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 but not really. <laughs> okay, um, you you might remember him when I tell the story. But so essentially, um, in one of the tests, the contestants had to kind of go in this like little glass thing, and it scanned their body to see if they were healthy. Um, and Fernando is in a wheelchair, so when he went in, the 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 uh, yes, the sensor went red, and he was asked to go see the 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 nurse or doctor on staff, and. She laid him on his stomach and she poked his leg and said, um, do you feel that? And he said, no, I, I, I don't I don't feel anything. Um, and then she inserted this like whatever it was, some serum into his lower back. And you could see the nerves like kind of lighting up uh, mm-hmm. or, or more likely um, blood blood stuff or like, you know, the circulatory system lighten up. But um, it was like shooting through his legs, essentially going down into his legs. And um, she asked him if he could feel that again. And he said, no, I just feel pain in my lower back. She poked him one more time in his leg. And he was like, oh, my gosh, I felt that. And then she smiled. She smiled and was like, yeah, you know, you you get through the process. We'll be able to get you walking again. Um, And 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 he's just like dumbfounded. So his love interest in the show, um, Michele, um, they they were um, they were talking about it, and he was like, "Yeah, that they said I might be able to walk again." And she was like, "Oh my god, oh my god, that's amazing! Like you're gonna be walking, that's that's so great." And he's sitting there like, "Why are you so happy? Why are you so excited?" I spent my entire life preparing for this process, not being able to walk because I was worth it and I was enough. So now you're telling me that one shot makes my entire life worthless because I could have got this shot when I first found out I couldn't walk again or from the accident, and I would have been fine. So it yeah. basically made his entire life feel worthless. It made like every every decision he made, every every experience, you know, would have been different if he had the shot. So um, it kind of reminded me of like, you know, having a father figure in my life again. It's like I spent my whole life not really knowing what that felt like. And now it's there. So what do I do? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's scary. Um, I, I, I want more than anything to develop a relationship. And we've talked, you know, we talked a, a couple of times and, um, but part of me is also like, man, he'd been in jail for 27 years, 26 years. Damn. So I, I don't want to hog him. You know, I want him to experience his life. And he's like, he's doing everything he wanted um, when he was inside, you know, he's, he's, he's a deacon. He's, he's, he's doing his rap career. You know, he's, he's doing, <laughs> he's doing, he's doing everything. He's doing everything he wanted to do. And, you know, he was with his wife and his kids and everything. So, I, in my mind, if it happens, it'll happen. Like if it's meant to happen, it'll happen. I, I don't like forcing relationships. That's not who I am. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think in time, I'll kind of see how he wants to treat this relationship. And um, I'm confident because we had a, a like a four hour conversation, three hour conversation um, mm-hmm. a, a couple of weeks back, months back. And um, he told me a lot. Wow. But, um, he's gonna come see me in person eventually. So, um, oh, where does he live now? Ohio. Ohio. Oh wait, that's. Was he in jail in Ohio or was that New York? Yeah, he he was in prison in Ohio for basically the whole time. Oh wow! So you've never seen him before? I saw him two or three times in person. 
Um, <laughs> unfortunately, one time I went, uh, something was wrong with the paperwork and he was literally like, I couldn't see him, but you know, he was on the other side of this door of this door. And they uh -huh. said, no, and they were like, no, you can't see him. Oh my gosh. And my uncle and I, uncle Tony, that I talked to you, talked about before, you know, we drove like whatever, seven odd hours to get there just right. to get turned away. I, I was devastated. I was, I was like 10 years old. I was devastated. Aww. So did your mom ever shy away from telling you that you you know you are enough without a father or or talked about why this like you know he's in jail or all that stuff because did, did she shelter you basically um yeah that's, that's a good way to put it um yeah yeah I mean I I she sheltered me in a way where she didn't tell me everything you know what I mean Right. Um, cause when I, when I kind of had the, the, the understanding and concept of what a dad is, uh, how do I explain this? She, she basically told me he's there, you know what I mean? And, and something bad happened and he was wrongly accused, which he was, he was falsely mm -hmm. accused for murder. Um, oh my he, gosh. he didn't kill nobody. And, and the, the way this woman, this poor, poor woman was killed was, was awful. I, I won't even get into the details, but it was around like the crack epidemic and all that. So, um, you know, it, it, it was bad. It was really bad. And they mm -hmm. pinned that on, on him and, and his crew. Um, and um, essentially, that's kind of all I knew. And I won't get into the details of what I found out, but um, I basically had to Google him to know who he was back then. And mm -hmm. that also crushed me because I was lied to by both of them. But again, I was like 10. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm like nine or 10 years old. So it, it's hard to have these conversations with a 10 year old. Um, right. These are conversations you shouldn't have to have with a 10 year old, but it's just kind of how it was. But um, she sheltered me in the way where she was just trying to keep me focused because I, I had a lot of mental breakdowns when I was a kid. You know, I lost my grandparents. My mom had cancer. So, you know, I almost lost her too. So, you know, there, there, were, there were points in my life where things were really, really low and, you know, um, suicide was almost there. I didn't like attempt or anything, but like, I would like hover the knife around my wrist and be like, Oh, like, I, you know, I'll kind of go back oh and forth. Gosh, yeah. But, um, I never actually cut myself or anything like that, thankfully. Um, yeah. And, thankfully. Um, yeah. So, uh, those are rough times. Those are rough times. And she was just doing, she did, she did the very best she could. And she did a really freaking great job. You know, she sacrificed so much. She sacrificed her college career, her dreams, her passions, um, to raise me, you know, mm -hmm. and that's something I could never thank her back enough for. Um, and I'm doing everything in my power to retire her early. So I got, I got like 15 years. No, no, no. She's older than that. <laughs> I, I, I got about like 13 years or something like that um, to to retire her. So I'm 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 busting my butt to to try and pay back what, what she gave me because she basically sacrificed her life for me, and I could you know never repay her enough for that. Oh my gosh, that's that's really nice to hear, and it's a very heartwarming story, and also you know, very crazy up and down story. But it made you who you are, right? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And you said something about you know your dad being wrongfully accused. So last year we had the you know Black Lives Matter movement, and it's still going on, of course, but. Um, but only if you want to talk about it, you know, how, how was that period for you? Cause we're all at home, social media, everyone's talking about it. Uh, how was that for you? Yeah. I mean, I, 
I think um, BLM is a is a complicated thing. And the mm-hmm. only reason I say it's complicated is because there's so many different interpretations of it. And there's mm-hmm. so many different agendas. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm obviously for Black Lives Matter. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, people try to manipulate that message for a monetary gain. And that's where I have issues. Um, that's oh, where interesting. I... Interesting. Um, like pe- monetary? Yeah, monetary in the sense of your attention. Like... I felt like my attention was being manipulated by what the media would put out around BLM. Like they would show riots and like, oh my gosh, the world's blowing up. Meanwhile, that's like less than 1% of the people that are doing it. And usually it wasn't the peaceful protesters. Like they didn't like get angry and outraged. It was some some random anarchists doing it. You know what I mean? Um, and again, not saying that all of them, all the BLM people were peaceful there were obviously some people who were violent but the the vast majority of the protests were incredibly peaceful but the media right. won't show you the, the peaceful stuff they'll show you what gets clicks which is the violence and the the stores being broken into and you know people being assaulted and stuff like that like that's that was my biggest issue because that's that's your attention which is money you know that that's that that's money right there that that's the most valuable currency we social media created was your your attention right and and that that really really rubbed me the wrong way i i I hated that about um that that time period where it was really really like hype you know what i mean where people were talking about blm all the time because the media again the general media for the most part from what i saw personally not obviously every form of media i can't make generalizations Mm -hmm. um um, but from what i was witnessing i felt like i was being manipulated and i didn't like that um but BLM was amazing, you know, it, it brought so much awareness to something that we as a people have been struggling with for so freaking long. It's like, yeah, it's like, dog, we were slaves, you know what I mean? And then <laughs> when, when we were good, like we, we were we were in Congress, we were we were politicians, we were landowners, business owners, we were entrepreneurs, we were wealthy. It was stripped away. Black code, you know, KKK, blah, blah, blah. You, you name it. Um, yeah. The system did everything it could to bring us back down all the way to murdering us and, and you know, um, destroying our, 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 our livelihood, you know, Black Wall Street, destroying everything that, that we just, you know, created. Because, you know, it's very obvious that slavery was the, the foundation of our economic power. Like it built so much old wealth that, you know, transferred yeah. on into new wealth. So, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not one to, like, um, you know, think that uh everything that is out there is against me like i'm i'm not i'm not like that but um i we have to acknowledge facts are facts facts are facts so um i haven't like i haven't found the color of my skin to be that much of a deterrent on my journey um obviously sometimes it has been like i've i've been called you know the n-word both um by white people um on a few occasions um, but it, it was mostly through ignorance and as a joke. I I don't think I've ever been a target of like hate where someone mm-hmm. was like, you, you, you dirty, you know, something like yeah, that. Yeah. It was mostly like, you know, little kids joking and like by little kids, I mean like high schoolers, like just, just joking around and like, um, trying to be funny. It's, it's more of an ignorance thing because they don't know who I am, you know, all they have is what the rap video show them or what television shows them, what movie shows them and, and mm. you know, TV shows. And in the vast, and a lot of media were depicted as 
athletes and criminals and, you know, incredibly, uh, uh, you know, explosive and, and strong and angry. You know, it, it, there's a lot of things like that, um, at least in, from, again, my perspective and what I've seen. So they were kind of expecting me to be a strong, fast, athletic, you know, almost uneducated black man. And when I didn't fit that stereotype, it was like, wait, he, he can't even shoot a basketball. Like what? Like he's, oh my gosh. <laughs> he can't throw a football. He's slow. He's fat. Like that, that narrative, I was like the complete opposite. So, I mean, I, I got, I got bullied and, you know, they, they, they belittled me, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's traditional bullying just with um, a racial expectation context. When I didn't fit their certain narrative, they took advantage of me for it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's, that, that's kids. Like they're, they're, they're going to do that. Um, especially when they don't know. Um, one, one really cool example. I can't remember what the guy's name was, but he essentially went out of his way to befriend um, a Ku Klux Klan member. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. He was like an archbishop or whatever, but whatever their crazy ranking system is. Um, and he started going around him more and more. Um, they started going out to drinks together and, you know, hung out. He would go, the black dude would go to rallies. It, it was insane. It was insane. It was like this one black dude amongst all these hood, hood wearing KKKs. And he was just chilling. You know what I mean? Um, and eventually, interesting. yeah, eventually he got the dude to quit the KKK and a bunch of other people. And he, he now goes, well, back then, I don't know when he, if he does this now anymore, but um, when he did, gave that TED talk, he had a closet full of, um, of hoods from high ranking KKK members who he didn't even, he didn't say KKK is bad. Like, don't do that. He would just chill with them and teach them about his life. You know, they would go, go to dinner at his house. He would go to their house. They would go for drinks. And it showed me a big, big piece of hate is ignorance because, mm -hmm. you know, we were not born hating someone for what they look like. Like yes. mm -hmm. if, if, if you're, if you do film editing or video editing, we're all freaking red. We're just different shades of red. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and, and, skin color is simply just pigment based upon your geographical location of your 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 bloodline so it's 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 silly to think that someone who's born a different skin color is going to hate someone else because of that skin color like that's created that's fabricated race is fabricated we're all yes. the human race you know what i mean yeah. um but um where am i going with this oh yeah so the dude just got to know the kkk guy the KKK member just got to know another, like a black man. Like what, what, what is a black man? Oh, he's intelligent. He's well-spoken. Like he's, he's kind, he's, he's generous. Like any other human being who, who is normal would be, you know what I mean? And that convinced him. He was like, man, I, I, I can't go shouting white power, you know, screw all the, the N words. Like I can't say that anymore. Cause I know one he's cool. And I know that these other guys, they're cool too. So I think, Ignorance is, is one of the biggest forms of uh, why we hate people. Yeah, no, that's a really powerful story. Who Who is this guy? Where is this guy based? Oh, I, I don't remember his name. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast a while back. Mm. Um, if you just Google, I mean, to be not to be funny, but black black guy, KKK, you know, relationship or something, you might you might find him. I, I, I don't know his, his name. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but um yeah, just um, look up that that story. It's a very powerful story, and hearing him tell it is is amazing. 
it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing because there's a lot that I, I left out um, unintentionally. No, like just hearing you say it, it's, it's really powerful because I know that's, that's why it's so important that both sides of, you know, the division is open to communication because I think on both ends, like uh, black or white, if they are both um, feeling this type of tension and hatred and they don't want to open up themselves and share their story, then that's going to create more problems or perpetuate the problem. So I I definitely do believe that storytelling is really important or at least being open-minded to stories that are different. 100%. Yeah. So um, thank you. I think this is going to conclude unless you have any other things you want to mention. Um, no, I mean, I, um, I enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I, um, like I said, I, I really enjoy doing podcasts and just, just being on and just having a long forum conversation. Cause I feel like it's, it's rare that we get to do that, uh, nowadays, mm-hmm. especially with lockdowns and everything, unless we're talking to family or friends. So, um, Agreed. you know what I mean? It's just a lot of fun. And, um, I want to thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining me. You shared a lot about, you shared a lot about you. Um, And I think a lot of people are going to be very receptive to your story and what you shared today. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey, lovely people. If you guys are interested in listening to more episodes from us, since you made it all the way to the end, might as well subscribe to our podcast. And if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, please, if you want to, give us a rate and review so that we can reach more people with our stories. If you guys don't want to do any of those things, uh, if you want to, share us on social media and we'd love to hear what you guys think of this episode. And to look, I look forward to seeing you in other episodes as well. But yeah, bye.